Good morning. This morning we will continue, as Brother Masi have already stated, we will continue in the book of Malachi. The Lord has really been um, using this particular text of Scripture to remind us of his, his faithfulness, even when his people can sometimes be faithless. God remains faithful. And so we're, we're encouraged by that. And that theme of how God loves his people continues uh, to run throughout this, this book. And we see the rhetorical questions that are being asked and God answers uh, those questions. Um, we see it in um, verse 1 of um, Malachi um, chapter 1, I'm sorry, verses 2 through 5, when the question is asked, how have you loved us? As if the people were questioning the love of God. Uh, we also see um, in verses 2 and 9, well, the text we'll be dealing with from 1 to 6 to 2 to 9, how have we shown contempt for the name of God? In particular, today we're going to deal with uh, how the priest dealt with the honoring of God's name and also how they profane the name of God and the covenant of God. And so on today we will continue this um, So if you would take your Bible, your copy, and turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. Later on in chapter 3, we're going to um, see um, that the text will speak of a messenger, a messenger of God's covenant. And then um, in chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus being described as the son of righteousness. So I want to start at Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. Right, at, right above chapter 2, I want to start there. That brings in a little more context uh, to what's going on. Malachi 1.14 Curse be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, 
I will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave to him, it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abase before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but, but show partiality in your instruction. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, you are a great and mighty God. You are deserving of praise and of honor and of glory. We praise you and honor you today, O Lord. And we come asking for your help. We come asking for you to use your word to speak to your people. They might be reminded and know that you are God. Speak to us, O God. Remind us of your word and your commands, your promises. Have thy way, O God. Speak to us through your word. Speak to trials and circumstances, times of difficulty and hardships. Have your way, O God. Speak to our hearts that we might leave here a changed people, giving you all of the glory, the honor, and the praise. Help me, Lord, weak man, desperately in need of your help to be able to speak of your word with conviction, with great joy. Have your way, O God, with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. As it is in your bulletin, we have landed upon a title that is called The Persistent Perversion of the Priests. The Persistent Perversion of the Priests. Verses 1 to 3 of Malachi 2, the priests were separated. They were 
called out from the rest of the people so that their conduct and the consequences of their actions would be made known. According to verse 2, the significance of God's name is revealed. God is so committed to his name that he could not and would not allow for his name to be dishonored by Israel's priests without declaring a divine curse upon them. God is serious about his name. The name of God signifies his identity. It signifies his person and who he is. It signifies his power. It signifies the honor that is due unto him. God is serious about his name. He cherishes his name. We know that God values his name because in the previous chapter, in verse 14, he states, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is a clear indicator that God cares about receiving the honor that is due his name. We know this because in chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord also states to the priests in in, in helping them to understand the honor that he deserves, he says to them, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? So from two verses of scripture, we can easily conclude that the Lord's name is precious to him. God's name is so precious that he would not allow for these priests to go unpunished. He would not allow for their misconduct to continue. And we can see that based on the text, they clearly was not committed to the name of God. And so here, we see that the writer continues to illustrate the name of God being precious to him. They was not committed to the, to the name of God because being committed to the name of God is the same as obeying God. And so... They was not committed to the name of God because if they would have been committed to the name of God, they would have been committed to God. 
so much so that they would have lived their lives in honor and for the glory of that great name. The psalmist states in Psalm 86, verse 11 and 12, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Un, I mean, unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. The people of God honors the name of God. In this particular context, the Lord reveals himself as the Lord of hosts. In other words, the Lord is a great king whose name is to be feared among the nations. So it makes sense for God to curse those who would dishonor his great name. God would would not allow for the uncommitted priest to get off scot-free. There's much responsibility that goes along with leadership. Spiritual leaders were called by God. This was done in both the Old and the New Testament. Under the old covenant, the spiritual leaders were priests and prophets. Under the new covenant, uh, brought in by and instituted by the Lord, the spiritual leaders were the apostles, those who were appointed also to lead within the local church. In this case, the high priests represented the people of God in the presence of God. As spiritual leaders, priests were called by God for serving and for representing the people in the presence of God. In Hebrews 5 and 1, the text states, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. Though the priests were obligated to God in representing the people, many throughout history have failed. For example, in Jeremiah 23, 11, the text says, both the prophet and the priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I found their evil, declares the Lord. Also in Isaiah 28, 28 and 7, it states, These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. So as you know, there are, there are many examples within the biblical text that describes the failures and downfalls of spiritual leaders. 
This was the case in Malachi's day. Priests allowing the people to give to God their least instead of their best. Oh, don't don't worry about it. I know that you need to have your your best your best crop this year. So so just just give me whatever you have that's left. I, I, I won't mind it. It'll be okay. It'll, it'll all work out. This is the kind of, of attitude that the priests were displaying before the people. And so uh, these priests uh, were allowing the people to just come to God with anything. They allowed the people to give their last instead of their first. People were giving to God whatever they wanted to, even if it was blemish. Sacrifices, legs were broken, all kinds of blemishes. And this pointed to the perversion of the priests. It pointed to the fact that they were willing to ignore the conviction, the things that were on their hearts. They were willing to ignore those things. So we see in verse 2 of our text, Malachi declares to them, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Instead, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. They were not even considering the way of God. In our text, the writer uses words that every Jew would have been familiar with because in Deuteronomy 6, we see this type, the same type of language in verses 4 through 9. There we see these words, and this is a text you're familiar with. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your hearts, of your house and on your gates. And so this language, when he says, if you will not listen, they were used to listening. They were used to this, this kind of prayer. They was used to hearing, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Malachi says, if you will not listen, if you will not take to heart the honor that is due 
to God's name. Every serious Jew would have repeated this prayer at least once in a day. Malachi used familiar words to lay a foundation for how the priests had disobeyed. The fact was they weren't listening. They weren't hearing. They did not have the word of God, the law of God on their hearts. They weren't willing to be obedient to God. Anyone who lived their lives contrary to what God commands would be cursed. Cursed instead of blessed. We can, we can learn from the priest mentioned in the text to take seriously the word of God by applying it to everyday life and making it our aim to live in obedience to God. We can relate to this because it's only by God's grace that we are here today as one body. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. After many failures and failed attempts at life, we've come to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation and true satisfaction. There would be things in this world and things in this life that would satisfy us for a while. But at some point, it's going to pass away. The excitement will be gone and we'll find ourselves looking again to be filled for more satisfa- with more satisfaction. And so we can, we can relate to this because we have been saved by God's grace and we know the struggles of sin. Before knowing Christ as Lord and Savior, we failed God in numerous ways. We, we were corrupt. We were wicked in word and in deed. In Psalm 14, 3, the text states it like this in reference to every human being that ever lived. They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good None, not even one. So we've all failed in in an attempt to please God to obtain righteousness. But in sin, but sin has corrupted every part of us from the inside out to the deepest parts of us of our soul and because of it we often still fail at dishonoring God as we ought to when we disobey his word we've failed God in disbelief we've failed him by not fearing him as we ought to and reverencing his name as we ought to we fail God by not honoring him as he deserves but thank God that we have a great high priest 
That when we fall and when we fail, we can call upon the name of Christ and know that what he has done for us can bring us relief and comfort and joy because it was Christ who was laid out on a cross to pay for sin once and for all. Conception to the grave, it's been done away with, paid in full by the blood of Christ. And so looking at the text, it brings a different perspective. We're able to be reminded of the goodness and the love of God. We're reminded of a savior who has saved us out of sin. And we're no more a slave to it. We've been bought with the price. And now we are able to live a life that pleases God and that honors God. We're able to give him the honor that he deserves because we're in Christ. Apart from Christ, this cannot be done. Those of you who are here today and don't know Christ, you can't offer up the glory that is due his name apart from him. You must first know him for who he is and accept him as your Lord and your Savior before you can do anything that pleases God. You see, it begins with relationship. It begins with understanding the good news that have come to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we proclaim today, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's needful that if you don't know him today, you need to know him now as your Lord and as your Savior. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Know him. Receive what he has done for you on the cross. Before knowing Christ as Lord and Savior, we failed. But we're reminded That as Christians being saved solely by God's grace without having to add anything. In other words, it's not Christ and good works, but it's simply Christ alone. And we can come to know God without bringing any good works but it's Christ alone that we come to know him. This is the comfort that we have. For what Christ has done, the sinful, corrupt nature, even though Christ has saved us, the nature still remains. Yes, we have a new nature, but we must recognize that the struggle is still there. The sin nature, the flesh wants to sin. Just from the passage of scripture alone, we can learn a lot about fallen humanity. In the text, we can see the following. Man is neglectful in doing what is right. How many times have we neglected in doing the things that we know we should do? 
that lets us know a lot about ourselves, that, that we are neglectful if we're not intentional about obeying the word of God and knowing what God commands of us. Number two, man forgets to give honor where honor is due. How many times have we failed to honor God for what he has done in our own lives? How many, how many times have we just ran across life as if God had not done anything for us? You see, we're all reminded of the honor of God and what is due to him. Three, man fail to recognize God for who he is. And lastly, the fallen, fallen humanity often forgets and disobeys the commands of God and do not take to heart what he says in his word. Malachi may have reminded the priests of Deuteronomy 4 and 9 there the text says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children. As parents, we are obligated to pass on a legacy, a legacy that honors the name of God. We have the obligation as parents. God has given us the mantle. He has given us the baton that as we run the race, pass it to your children that they also may know. That they may also, when they are before a meal, bow their heads and give honor and glory to the one who have given them food. The one who have provided for them. Pass the mantle. The text says that we are to give our children the word of God. Make it known to them and remind them. That when they have children, tell them to pass it on to their children. Build a legacy. Brother Aaron reminded us of many a times as we run the race, we find ourselves dropping the baton in the middle of the, re- of the race and we have to pick it up and remember that we are in a race. And we have to pick up where we left off. Giving our children the word of God, catechizing them, passing on the truth of God's word. We see the same kind of language in Isaiah 55, 6 through 8. There it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he, this is beautiful, he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
This is a reminder of the goodness of God that if you're here today and you don't know Christ, no matter what you have done, God is able to reach you where you are because God is abundant in mercy. He's abundant to pardon you if you would come to him. Die to self. Receive what he have done on the cross for you. And God is able to pardon you and give you this new life. That's the blessing that God has put in place through his word. The word of God is the vehicle for us to receive the blessings of God. But we must remember the other side. Disobeying God leads to cursing. That's the point that the writer makes here. A curse is a negative result or action that punishes a person or a people. It's the simplest form. If we go in the way of God, we will be blessed. If we do not go in the way of God, we can expect to be cursed. Curse in the sense of having a negative result for the actions that we've taken against a holy and righteous God. And so when, when we think about that, when we think about the consequences of sin, the gospel ought to be right behind it. Because we know of our inability to do all that God has called us to do on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's help. And it's by the Spirit's help that we're able to do those things that pleases and honors God. So because the priests failed to obey the commands of God, a curse was placed on them. According to verse 2, this would not only have an effect on the priests, But in practice, it would also affect their livelihood. If the priests were accepting any kind of sacrifice, even those that were normally unacceptable, it won't be long. It wouldn't be long before the the people would just stop bringing offerings altogether. If if it's not holy anymore, then I don't, I don't, if, if, If we don't come anticipating to obey God, to honor God, to listen and hear from his word, how is it that when people come, if we're not willing to do it, why would they want to? And so this is the point that Malachi is making to the priest. He's saying to the priest, you are the example. You've been called through the work of the Lord. And and we all can relate to that, even if we're not priests, even if we're not pastors or elders. We have an obligation as a child of God to live in obedience to God before the world. That when they see your our good works, they might glorify the father who is in heaven. You see, we have a new identity now. We've been changed. We've been washed with the blood of Christ. And therefore, we must take it serious to obey God. 
We must look for opportunities to honor him and to bring glory to his name. Look for opportunities to serve because we know that serving ultimately honors God and brings glory to his name. Obedience. Obedience and honoring God leads to blessing and cursing. Leads to obedience. I'm sorry. Obedience and honoring God leads to blessing. Disobedience and dishonor leads to cursing. In this case, the the curse was already being applied. It's, It's as if the curse the writer says, is on the way. We see this at the end of verse 2. There the text says, I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. You see that? This curse is on the way by the commands of God. In verse 3 we see that The attitude of the priest before God didn't change. And because of it, the curse had an effect on everything. The curse affected the priest generationally. Even their descendants was affected by the curse. I mean, we could even possibly consider this for ourselves that if we don't Pass to our children the word of God and they go in the way of their flesh and is not given the same word that we receive, that we might obey, that they might obey, then we can expect, we can expect to cursings to fall upon our children because of sin. And so we must warn them. But as we warn them, we give them good news. We give them gospel. We give them law, but we give them gospel. The scripture says that the law is good. And so we use the law to instruct our children, to lead them and guide them. But we also give the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at the text, we're able to see also in verse 3 that even their descendants was affected by the curse. How many times have you seen a person or a group of people humiliated because of sin or because of their action? We've all seen the consequences of sin and what it leads to. And we see the humiliation that comes with not honoring God, not obeying his word. And in this text, this is the case. The priest will receive a great part of humiliation and God is the one doing the humiliating. We see this inferred in verse 3 when it states, Behold, I will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. 
You imagine the sacrifices, all of young people, children, the poop is all over the place. God threatens the priest and says, guess what? That's what's on the ground is going to be on your faces. This is the kind of humiliation, the picture that God is painting for those who go outside of doing what God commands us to do. And so it's, it's a warning for us that our actions do have consequences. Sometimes punishment or sin comes by way of humiliation. Uh, we see this in Ezra 9 and 7 when the prophet says, from the days of our fathers to this day, we have been, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings, our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the land to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. It's unfortunate that the priests had to go through these things because of their disobedience, but none of this would have taken place if they have, would have only obeyed the commands of God. They would have listened to their conscience, listened to all of the scriptures that they have learned, reminding them to honor and glorify God if they would have remembered those things and would have acknowledged their sin and would have repented, then they could have been, then they would have been able to receive the forgiveness that God gives. God is ready to grant forgiveness when we are willing to listen and change. But when we refuse to take Heed to the word of God. We can expect consequences for our actions. Sinful actions can be forgiven, but we don't make the term God does. Forgiveness is granted by God. He sets the terms. So considering what God has done for us, we ought to be more thankful as we contemplate the sins of the priests, because we know that our sins have been done away with. They have been dealt with on the cross. And so as we come to know sin in our lives, we're to confess those sins because God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question I have for you What is your heart saying to you regarding your sin and failure? Where are you today? Is there unconfessed sin? Uh, Are you looking to the word? Or are you running from the word? These are important questions for our consideration on a daily basis. We must recognize and come to an understanding of what we have done for God 
and what we have not. And if we have not honored God as we ought to, we're to confess that, we're to acknowledge that, we're to bring that before God, and God is just. He's faithful to forgive us. And so we must remember that though God is loving, sin is the curse that has fallen on us all. Because of sin, the wrath of God hangs over all mankind unless they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and have repented of their sins. So how does this text show us Christ? Uh, This passage of scripture is a reminder of our weakness before God. I hope you've gotten that. I hope you was able to recognize that we are weak sinners who are only saved by grace in the presence of God. And so we're looking at the priest to be able to identify with those who are also made in the image of God, but who have fallen and who need to come before God in confession. And so we're reminded of this today, that we are weak. We are weak before God and our inability to live according to his command is because of our fallen nature, our fallen state. It reminds us of our need for a savior. It reminds us to to have joy in the fact that the savior has come and we do know him. It reveals to us that we are hopeless without Christ. Before God, we are wretched sinners and it's only by God's grace that we are saved. At some point and in some way, everyone fails in keeping the commands of God. No one is righteous enough. No one can meet God's standard. No one is worthy of heaven on the basis of their good deed. Christ alone is the only way to God. His righteous credited, his righteousness credited to us by grace through faith is the only possibility for salvation. The Lord Jesus is man's only hope, and it's our hope, even though we are saved. We look to Christ. We look to Christ daily. We are constantly looking to Christ to live our lives in glory of him. So as long as there's life in the body The door of opportunity is open. Seek Christ now while he can be found. Anyone who possess genuine faith in Christ don't have to live live like the present. The priests in Malachi's day, the priests were faithless even when God had shown himself to be faithful. We don't have to be that way. Instead, we can respond in complete obedience as the Spirit enables us for the glory of God. We see this in the following verses. First, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, 
There it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Then in Galatians 6 and 9, we see it. There it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. While we're considering uh, this passage before us, we must ask ourselves, what are some ways in which I'm expressing weariness in my service to the Lord? What can I change about my attitude before God? What am I neglecting? According to Verse 4, the judgment of God was pronounced upon the priest because it was his desire to keep his covenant. It was God's desire to keep his covenant. This is the agreement that God had made with his people. So on the one hand, God was about keeping his word. And on the other hand, God was also about correcting the priests. And so we must continue to be reminded of what God has done. We must remember the purpose of the new covenant. The new covenant came because man could not keep the old covenant. Christ himself put on flesh and kept the new covenant. Brought in the new covenant by keeping the old covenant, he brought to us life and peace. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that we would have life and peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we can... Be, we can have confidence in knowing that when we honor God, when we fear him, and when we have awe of him, that it brings peace and blessing. And so we're not to go under the old covenant trying to keep the law of God that we might be in good standing with God. But we must remember the new covenant that came to the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we do away with the old man in trying to perform, in living to be accepted by God when we have already been accepted through Christ. Christ have enabled us to come to know him, to be adopted into his family as children of God by a new and a living way. And so we must call to remembrance the things of God. We must call to remembrance to be holy, to be serious about the word of God, be serious about having a deep respect for the one who have come and have died for us. We must honor God. We must do away with any kind of perversion. We see this in verses 7 and 9. The prophet is 
exciting ways in which they in which they have failed. They failed because they departed. They left the way of God. The priests were to keep knowledge. They were to keep understanding as to what God said. They were to deliver it to the people that they also might be reminded of what God said. That they also might leave keeping the way. Jesus says, I am the way. We're to remind, we're, uh, the priests were to remind the people to walk on the path that is righteous. They're to walk in the way of God, walk in the word of God. They must strive. They must persevere. They must run. The glory of God is departing if we don't honor him in the pulpits in all of the churches who claim the name of Christ the glory of God must go forth through the word of God but how we're able to see that when when Christians fall and they put it on the news they put it on Facebook and all kinds of things, it it brings dishonor. And as Christians, we must be careful in walking the right way because there are itty-bitty steps coming behind us. And you can look at that either, you can look at it as children or babes coming behind you, or you can look at it as those who are immature in the faith and are looking for an example. We have an obligation as Christians to honor God and to bring glory to his name. I'm going to rush to a, a, to a, um, to a close. So what, what, what do you expect God wants us to know? We, we must be aware of, of our sin and confess them as soon as we are aware of them. Each offense, deal with it. Keep short accounts. Put it away. We must remember that we're made in the image of God. We must remember that we are made in in the image of God with a natural desire to worship him. And we must worship the Lord. God wants us to remember that he's patient. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's kind and loving. God keeps his word when we don't. And guess what? He never breaks a promise. God never breaks a promise. If we fail to live for the glory of God and instead live to please our flesh or to please others, we can expect God's rebuke and shame to humble us. But that does not put us outside of the family. Scripture teaches us that those whom he loves, he chastens. And so our 
our understanding of discipline ought to be from a disposition that God loves me. That's the confidence when, when life is tripping, when things are crazy. Remember the disposition between you and God is a bridge of love in the person of Christ. So, what does God want me to do? You must continue growing in the knowledge of God's word and make it your aim to live in obedience to his will every day. We must live holy before our God. We must respect God's name and never use it as a curse word or in any dishonoring way. The Lord deserves our respect. The Lord deserves our honor. Therefore, in weakness, we must look to Christ, look to the cross of Christ, for in him there is hope, there is forgiveness, with full satisfaction, and with joy. That's the comfort that we have. We have the Spirit of God at work in us, And now we are armed to honor God, as the scripture says. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. May your word be efficacious in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.